We're for sharing innovative treatments and preventing disease before it ever develops. Learn how our team is working to better care for you on this edition of UVA Health System Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. UVA is among the few hospitals in the region offering mini valve surgery. What patients with heart valve disease could benefit from this minimally invasive surgery? My guest today is Dr. Gaurav Alawadi. He's a board-certified surgeon whose specialties include heart valve disease. Welcome to the show, Dr. Alawadi. What is cardiac valve disease? Thank you for having me. Um, Well, our hearts have four main valves. Their job is to open without restriction and close without uh, close completely without leaking to allow blood to really move forward between the, the different chambers of the heart out to the lungs and to the body. So when a valve is tight, we call it stenotic, uh, and, and what it does is it, it restricts blood flow out of the heart. Uh, when a heart valve leaks, we call it regurgitant, and then blood ends up going backwards. Either way, whether uh, when a valve doesn't work properly, uh, it can lead to um, symptoms that cause congestive heart failure, which uh, include things like shortness of breath, fatigue, uh, chest pains. Uh, people tend to uh, feel uh, can feel pretty bad. Uh, and so valve disease can uh, really span a lot of different uh, types of causes and things like that. What are some of the causes of valve disease and who is at most risk? So, um, well, really anybody can get valve disease. It's uh, not related to uh, things that we consider to cause other heart disease like smoking uh, and diet, those don't actually lead to valve disease as much as they lead to other diseases of the heart. Uh, but there are many different ways that a valve can have problems. So we probably ought to think about the two most common valves that are affected because there are four valves. The two most common valves are the aortic valve and the mitral valve. So the aortic valve is the main valve between the, the main pump and chamber of the heart called the left ventricle and the body. Uh, and this valve most commonly gets uh, stenotic or tight, more so than leaking. So when this valve gets tight, uh, again, it restricts blood flow out of the heart uh, to the body. And there are a few congenital disorders. Those are disorders that are, people are born with uh, that put people at higher risk for uh, aortic stenosis. And those are uh, uh, people that have a bicuspid aortic valve. So that's where their valves are, uh, have two parts in the valve instead of three. Uh, and these patients have a higher risk to get uh, aortic valve problems early on in their life. Um, the other causes of aortic stenosis really um, are not genetic. Uh, it's really more just related to their uh, their other things that happen in their life. For example, uh, rheumatic valve disease uh, can occur when someone has had rheumatic fever, typically as a child, and that can lead to uh, aortic stenosis uh, later on in life. But the most common cause for aortic uh, valve disease is really aging and wear and tear on the heart. Um, so just like our back and our knees uh, get um, have issues as we get older, so does the aortic valve. We get calcium buildup, and that leads to the the valve getting tight. The other common valve that is, that's affected is the mitral valve, and that more commonly leaks um, than gets tight. And there's a lot, the, the mitral valve is a very complex structure. It actually looks like two parachutes side by side with little cords. There can be multiple reasons, um, that cause the mitral valve to leak, like an old heart attack or stretching of the valve or cords itself. That's called mitral valve prolapse. Rheumatic fever can also call, cause, uh, the mitral valve to leak or become tight. So there's lots of different reasons. There are few genetic reasons, but most of them 
a uh, little bit of bad luck, I'd say, and, and, and or wear and tear uh, on the valve. Dr. Elawadi, I understand there are a number of innovative treatment options. Can you tell us about minimally invasive surgical option and how does it differ from traditional open-heart surgery people might have had to have to get these leaky valves fixed and or replaced? Okay. Well, uh, I want to emphasize the goal with any surgery is to do the, the right thing for the valve, whether it's re- repair or replacement. Uh, and the second option or second thing we think about is how best to get to the heart. So the way we fix the valve depends on what's the issue. If when a valve is stenotic or tight, um, we usually replace the valve with an artificial valve, whether it's mechanical or uh, bioprosthetic, which is a tissue or a cow or pig valve. When a valve's leaking, it's common to try to repair the valve. That uh, typically is, is a better option, particularly for the mitral valve. So minimally invasive surgeries are really doing the same operation that we do through a full incision through the entire breastbone without breaking the breastbone. For example, we could fix the aortic valve through a small or partial opening in the breastbone uh, or uh, adjacent to the breastbone on the right side, um, while the mitral valve can be fixed through a small incision uh, in between the ribs on the right side of the chest without breaking any bones. Um, and uh, again, it really doesn't matter if we're repairing or replacing. We can really do both options through either incision. Who's eligible for this minimally invasive approach, and who might not be a candidate? Um, really takes uh, thoughtful consideration for every individual patient, but but anybody who has an isolated valve problem that means they don't they only have one valve that needs to be fixed. They don't have a second valve, or they don't have a bypass surgery that needs to be done. Um, we we consider for a minimally invasive approach as a first option. We start looking at any any unusual things that may may suggest that traditional open heart surgery open heart surgery may be better for them for example if they have they have a lot of calcium build them build up around the heart around the valve around the aorta uh, that might make minimally invasive surgery more risky uh, if they've had certain types of heart surgery before uh, it may be uh, safer to do through a traditional incision but I'd say by and large the majority of patients that have a isolated valve problem that is just one valve uh, that's the issue uh, we're offering a minimally invasive approach. If you've had to repair the mitral valve, for example, what is recovery like and what is the outcome? Are they going to have to have it re-repaired or possibly replaced later on in life? Can they still go into congestive heart failure if you've repaired a leak? What's the outcome like? Uh, it depends a little bit on how it's leaking. Uh, we're, we're learning more and more about the mitral valve. There have been large recent studies for what we call ischemic mitral valve regurgitation when a valve is leaking to, due, due to a very weak heart. And we're learning that it might be actually better or at least as safe to replace that valve so that the valve leakage does come back. When we're talking about mitral valve prolapse, uh, by and large, uh, those valves can be repaired with very good longevity without a need for repeat operation. It's not to say it never happens, but it's it's pretty unlikely. And we have data out to 15 years that the valve still works very well once we repair it when it's a mitral valve prolapse. In terms of the recovery and, and the benefits, it's really uh, what we see is there's a shorter stay in the hospital, a quicker return to activity and driving. So for young patients, that means they can get back to work sooner. Uh, in older patients, it means they can get more mobile with fewer restrictions. They don't need to get as much help with rehab. Um, so I, I think there's certainly 
recovery, recovery benefits. Uh, and regardless of the incision, the outcome and longevity really should be the same. The valve should be repaired with the same efficacy. Is there anything you can tell listeners about prevention or is there anything they can do to kind of keep their valves healthy? As you said, it's not necessarily lifestyle management, but is there anything else that we should know? Again, since it's not related to really our lifestyle, that I wouldn't say there's any modifications. What I would suggest is if if you've ever been told you have a murmur, um, or certainly ask your doctor when they're listening to your heart, do you hear anything? If there's ever a murmur or you have a family history of, of bowel disease, the easiest thing to do is to ask your doctor to get an echocardiogram. That's an ultrasound on the chest of the heart. And that'll be a, a great screening to see do you have any valve disease or not. The other part of it is to really pay attention to your symptoms. When you have valve disease, which you feel, you can feel uh, a short of breath, particularly when you start exerting yourself or going uphill. That's usually the earliest sign. And what we find is a lot of patients modify their lifestyle so they don't do as much. And it's been very subtle. And you ask them and they say, I, I do everything I, I can. I don't have any issues. But really, they, they've changed their lifestyle over the last few years. Um, the other thing we hear is palpitations that people feel their heart heart racing. And so those are the things that should tip off uh, the, your family doctor or, or uh, other doctor to start thinking about, could it be valve disease? Let me listen to the heart and uh, and maybe even push for an echocardiogram. And Dr. Elawadi, in just the last minute or so, why should someone come to UVA Heart and Vascular Center for valve disease treatment? Well, UVA is really one of the few places really in, in the country that has all the options to, to treat valve disease. For example, for the aortic valve, there we have more than, say, seven different ways to fix the aortic valve, from simply ballooning the valve open to a transcatheter valve replacement, which, which we didn't talk about, but we can replace the aortic valve in the right patient without uh, an incision by going through the groin or even through a, a small incision on the chest without stopping the heart, a minimally invasive valve repair, a minimally invasive valve replacement, a traditional incision valve repair or replacement. For the mitral valve, we have at least five ways to fix the mitral valve, including a percutaneous mitral valve repair with a mitral clip device, uh, minimally invasive mitral valve repair, minimally invasive replacement, traditional valve repair replacement. So we have a lot of different options, and one of the few places it really can offer the, the full spectrum of what's available. Choosing the best option for each patient uh, involves our whole valve team, a really multidisciplinary approach with experts really from all disciplines working together to provide the best outcome for each individual patient. So I think that the care is very individualized. Um, and really, finally, our excellent outcomes and reputation, I really think, are world-renowned. Um, and that allows us to get access to really the newest techniques and devices that are not available at other institutions. We've got some of the newest uh, valves, uh, newest devices that we use to help aid in, in mentally invasive surgery. Um, and we really have leaders in the field who love to do their job, and they love to do it with a smile. Thank you so much. And for more information on the UVA Heart and Vascular Center, you can go to uvahealth.com. That's uvahealth.com. You're listening to UVA Health System Radio. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.